Welcome back, Rebels. Let's talk about Rihanna. Good idea, David. Let's talk about Rihanna because Rihanna is fucking amazing. The reason I'm talking about Rihanna, or want to talk about Rihanna anyway, is because I watched the new Savage Fenty show this week and I was like, this is amazing and everyone needs to be more like Rihanna. Um, I've not actually seen the previous two shows that she'd done before, but since watching the third one, I've now watched back to the first two and I feel like it's something that everyone should just watch because it's like so great to see someone who's been so successful in one career just transform into fashion like into this whole new career which she didn't as far as I know have any experience in that before but has just now gone and absolutely dominated this new niche and I feel like one way that she does that really well is with these shows that she does every year whereas when fashion week comes around most people will for hire a venue basically put on a catwalk show display their work you might see a couple of snippets of it on Instagram and then it's gone whereas what Rihanna's done has gone and basically made some movie like music video thing with loads of different creatives and it's just become this like amazing moment yes i absolutely agree um i have not seen the newest one but i have seen the older shows and there is a lot to be said when you're rihanna and you've made millions through selling pop records that probably whatever you try next is going to be a success so obviously she's been bankrolled and she's got her her like cash behind her yeah yeah and if you and i had unlimited budget we could put on something um, absolutely incredible but then i think if you scale that down to a more relatable size uh, uh, for for our audience as a takeaway it's like creating a stir is easier than you think because most people think it will be so hard so they don't bother trying yeah and certainly within our business we i remember one of the very first things we did was when so we must be going back about 10 years now when the first box park opened in Shoreditch. Yeah. And we just launched our um we just launched our company and we were looking for ways to get seen, ways ways to get known. And we contacted Box Park as for an opportunity. We were like, is there anything that we could collaborate with you on? And at that time, they're very young. So because because i mean you try and talk to box park now and it's like uh just give us money yeah. like they're, they're, they're oversubscribed now they don't yeah. they don't need anyone to kind of like help boost it it's almost like up to them to cherry pick who they want to work with because they've got to that stage now where they've got a line every week a hundred percent but we noticed that that this was something that was kind of new all these shipping containers we were like there might be something here this might be a way for us to get attention so we did box art at box park where you me and a couple of other artists drew on a hundred um different boxes and then gave them away as free pieces of art to to people who wanted to attend and um I think it was like a, a draw sort of thing. So people entered their email addresses. So it was data collection. We built our mailing list, Box Park built their mailing list. And we both utilized each other's kind of relatively small social media followings at the time to to put things out with with that and that event. And that was one of the things that like really set the ball rolling for us. Parlay that onto Rihanna. What she always wants to do is is be standout. And so she's not doing some tired old, like you mentioned, the, here's a catwalk. She's not doing some tired old thing like that because that's what a, a fucking Gucci will do because it's that's their formula for the last 20 years. Whereas Rihanna comes in to this industry brand new. She's like, how can I stand out? Let me do something really different and make an impact. Most people, when they start, they look at who's the best, who's the number one in this field, and they just try and emulate them. Whereas as soon as you realise, okay, well, the Gucci's, the Pradas, the bigger ones who, they still have great shows, 
but they're a bit more safe, I suppose, because they've already got that name and they don't want to ruin it. It's like, oh, we've spent all this time building this thing. So let's go like pretty safe to it because our audience is so broad. We're not like super niche, like maybe we used to be, maybe like Rihanna is now. I suppose Rihanna is so broad in who she's appealing to, but it's still like a very specific style for a very specific kind of person. I feel like she's got that absolutely nailed. When people start, they'll look at, okay, who's at the top? And I just need to emulate them, which you're, you don't want to be emulating people who've got to a stage where they're safe. You want to be in there and kind of like shaking things up a bit. And I think that's where a lot of creatives who are getting started start to suffer because they're like, oh, this is so frustrating. I'm doing the same thing. My work is as good as these people who are really established, have been doing it for a long period of time. Why am I not standing out the, the same way they are? It's like when we had Brandon Woeful on the show, like he's got like millions of followers on Instagram and so many people will emulate the work that he does and then get frustrated of why they've not blown up. But it's because when Brandon started, people weren't doing that. And he was that new person who was like shaking up portrait photography instead of just doing a really standard black and white portrait like most people do. It'd be like, okay, well, here, how can we get lights in this? How can we make this a bit different? And I think that's what we really need to focus on. Like if we're getting started, we need to be like more out there. I think we need to be more ourselves. We need to work out what it is that we want to do, what we want to kind of put out there and just kind of like make it like, make yourself known. Like if you're walking into a room and no one knows who you are, wear the fucking brightest t-shirt in the room because everyone's gonna be like, what is that? And just, you're going to catch their attention. And all it takes is for you to catch their attention at the start and you start to get those eyes on you. And then you can start to explain to people what it is you do and, and make people care about what it is that you do. Yeah, if, if people care about what you do, I it's probably the hardest thing to do. I mean, when we started this show, no one cared about what we did because they hadn't heard from us before. And we, we had to do a lot of work behind the scenes in order to make sure that that we got the word out that, that this was a show that people could care about. And I think that's the challenge is articulating that through your branding and your marketing, that this is something that deserves your time. And now for us, it's quite easy because literally this this podcast survives on on word of mouth. We don't do any paid ads. We're quite shit on our social media for it. Like, literally, <laughs> like honestly, like everything that we um, everything that we advocate, people do for their careers. We don't really do for the show because we're too busy working on our solo careers. But because we love the show so much, we we still put it out each week, and it survives just simply on the word of mouth. I mean, if you think if if we were working on this full time and this was our only job, oh my like, god, how yeah, we yeah, could yeah. explode this show because we'd just be doing the maddest, strangest things to get attention on what we're doing to communicate to people this is this is worth your time, this is something that you should care about, and the reason people care about this show is not for you and me. It's it's they care about it because what they can take from it. And I think so many creatives are focusing on themselves when really they should be thinking, what is it that I do make or sell that gives value to other people that that enriches their lives somehow, whether it's by brightening up their walls or by or by making them feel a certain feeling or whether it's getting them inspired to go out and fucking take over the world like this show does. It's working out, here's what I do. What do other people take from that? Yeah, so recently we had Chris Dell on the show and I've noticed something that I've seen him say since having him on, where his whole Instagram isn't come and buy from my company, come and get my, employ me to do branding for you. It's everything is just, oh, here's something to help you. And literally his whole feed is just giving people out information, like giving people the stuff that they need to go and succeed. 
And it's like, people need to have more of that mindset. It's like, what value are you providing with everything that you do? Like we talked about in last week's show about, it's not about creating content. It's about providing value. And we kind of need to work out how can we provide more value in the work that we do? So it's, for example, like this show, our aim is to provide as much value as possible because it's like, we don't want to waste your time listening to this. We want you to just be able to log in, listen to us and then be like, okay, boom, got that information. I can go and put this into practice. And this week I can kind of be a little bit better than I was the week before. That's all we're kind of really aiming for is for you guys to get better all the time. And so, so I think the question you need to ask yourself is like, how much of the content you put up is actually benefiting other people? Yeah, and I suppose that's where the word content is kind of misleading. Uh, when we think of content, it, like content could be anything, couldn't it? Like if I if I put some spaghetti in my bowl, I've filled my bowl with content. It has content yeah. in it. Um, and and really, there's there's yeah, there's lots of different types of of content. There's junk food, and then there's all there's also really like sustainable content that is going to nourish you. Um, and so, so yeah, I guess it's, uh, and I suppose it's with the word influencer as well. It's like, are you influencing people to come and look at your bum or are you influencing people to make something, make some sort of positive change in their life to do or be more? And I think that's why the word influencer has been co-opted is because that's junk food content and, uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't offer any value. It doesn't offer anything sustainable. Whereas I, I feel like you and I are influencers, even though we would never, ever use that word, but we do influence people. We influence their careers. And I mean, the conversations that I had during my show of people coming down that were listeners to this show and you were there on opening night and had some similar conversations. It's like, it's those conversations when you just realise like, yeah, fuck, we, like, we are influencing a shit ton of people to actually take action to turn this whatever it might be a hobby or the crazy idea or the thing that people told them that would never become anything we are influencing them to actually make that become a reality and that for us is like is gold dust like that's what we love taking it back to rihanna there um i think one thing that she does i'm thinking like okay what value did i get from watching that show and i think it was just like pure inspiration and entertainment i think those are the two things that really kind of like sit in there and i've watched it a couple of times now like with some other people as well and you just watch through it and you're like everything here is like there's it's just pushing the boundaries a little bit in some way so it's like well what is that kind of edge that i can take from that so for example like one thing that i took away from that video in terms of inspiration was i was watching through it and there was this one scene with like normani like singing in a red booth and i was like that's cool like i actually got a red backdrop that i don't really use that much how could i take inspiration from that and kind of put my own twist on it and start using a bit of red based on that thing that i've seen there and it was actually it's, it's great because it's like by doing that trying that i then actually went shot a shoot in a red scene and then at one point one of the flashes didn't fire and there was a mistake that was made and when i was going back through the photos on the thing i was like oh fuck that one didn't flash it. i was like, actually it does actually look really cool and I was like, okay, well, let me have a play around with this one that was the mistake. And then actually kind of by pulling up the shadows and kind of like retrieving it a bit, I was like, oh my God, this is sick. This is one of them, like, I'm so pleased with this picture. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't go and watch that video and get the inspiration and take that, take something from there. And I think that's what's so wonderful about having something that can inspire someone. Because if you can go and make someone just do something, you don't know what the outcome of that could be. And that could be something that goes and changes their career completely. Dude, I love that so much. I love that so much. And and that just comes from doing. 
It just comes from doing your craft. And it and it might be a hundred photo shoots until you made the one key mistake that is going to lead you down. Or it might be the first time you try it. It's like, but the only way that you're going to go on these journeys is by taking the steps, trying new things, getting yourself out of your comfort zone, being inspired by things around you, things that are not necessarily within your field. Like watch a cool documentary and what like what can you take up from it? How can you be inspired? How, like like try it and you might fuck it up and then that fuck up becomes a whole like new chapter to your career I, like it's just the essence of this show just in within that story i i like your mistake like by doing you will make mistakes some of those mistakes will be really good mistakes like my whole neon paintings don't exist unless i make a mistake um and and like happen to like try out a can that i i'd completely like given up on like not thought I would ever use in any way because no artists ever use neon paint within their work and then fucking it becomes my whole entire style it's like yeah try do fail learn from those and just be like be open I love that you didn't just chuck it away you didn't delete it straight away you were like okay well let me see if I can turn this into something else that's creativity so yeah on the on the note of just doing it let's get into this week's episode so often with our interviews we we talk about people's journeys and and we we really go through like where they've been and i think that is is super helpful um but with this interview this was really like a lot more practical this was like okay if if this is the situation then what advice do you have for that um, and that's because this week's guest bianca miller cole and her husband byron cole um are just sort of fountains of of information and if you want to go and hear their origin stories that's that's out there on the internet but we wanted to get really sort of deep down and practical with this episode because their new book the business survival kit is a real kind of hands-on how-to business guide that covers a lot of these uh topics that we're going to be talking about today on the show hi bianca hi byron hi welcome to the show guys how's everything going we are just absolutely rushed off our feet um, with work and the book launch. The stress of being busy always beats the stress of being not busy. Um, so we all know those. There's there's these stats. They change. The figures are always changing. But but pretty much we can summarise that most businesses fail. Um, this is the the thing that we're that is sort of out there. What makes a successful business? Like like do you think it's how people? approach their business in the first place is that maybe they've not thought through everything before they start and they're just kind of rushing into something they haven't done proper market research like why is it that that number is so high that so many businesses do fail so that's a great question um and i would first of all say there's no magic wand because if there was a magic wand everybody would follow this formula and everyone would be successful so the the journey and road to success is very varied and and has many different factors um, but what you picked up on there was the fact that many businesses fail, which is very true. You know, they, there's the, the stats vary depending on which source you go for. Um, but majority of the stats all agree that most startups fail in a short period of time. And I think that fails normally for a handful of reasons. Number one, they lack capital. They, ha- they don't have the money and cash flow to, to sustain the business and invest in the business. They lack knowledge. So, you know, we always talk about that now, you know, having a lack of knowledge or having people in your network to be able to give you the information you need to become successful, right? Um, And there's just so many other little different facets. They don't have, ultimately it comes down to not having enough customers, right? You're not able to have enough customers, which we can talk about with branding, which is one of Bianca's main topics, which she talks about. But there's so many different facets that, uh, that take part in the success of a business. And you are quite right. Um, Many businesses in the first couple of years uh, and, and it's very varied depending on the type of business 
Um, but ultimately, we all need two things. We all need cash to be sustainable, and we all need to make sure we have customers to make the product or service viable. When it comes to our audience, I think that's something that a lot of our listeners do struggle with, is that, yes, we know that we do need customers to have a successful business, yet specifically with creatives, we often find it really hard to go in for the sale, to to, to to talk about like, I am a business as well as an artist or a creative. Have you got any tips for um, for kind of getting over that hurdle, that sort of mental block of it's okay to charge and it's okay to charge like your worth? Mm. That's a great, great point there because I think with uh, the creative industries, what you, you have in abundance is passion and determination, which some people lack. Some people go into business just for money and actually they're not passionate. They don't love what they do. And I think a lot of the creative uh, entrepreneurs that we work with, they have passion and enthusiasm in abundance. But because of that, their love of what they do means that sometimes they devalue the price point. And I think it's so important to say, OK, well, this is what I do. This is what I excel in. But actually, this is how much it's worth. And I think that que- that question on worth and how much you charge is what's often overlooked in the creative industries. And so it requires you to do a bit of research to understand what the market is would dictate but also to dig deep and think, OK, well, what is my time worth? How many clients do I want to service? How many, you know, if it's if it's art, how much art do I want to create? And how long does it take me to create that art? And therefore, how much is that going to be worth for me in terms of how much I need to pay my bills? And sometimes that equation is missing because we're so passionate about what we do. We've forgotten that actually this needs to be uh, commercially viable. We need to be able to charge enough for this to work for us to continue on that journey. And it's getting through that hurdle and being confident enough to say, to say, this is what I charge. And I charge this because I deliver X value, as opposed to feeling that nervousness around pricing and money, which I think people do feel. Yeah. And I think when people are first getting started as well, like especially if you're not coming into it from like a professional industry level, I think like me and David have been in business for the past 11 years and we've worked with like literally some of the biggest brands in the world. And we've seen the budgets that those kind of clients have. Whereas I think when you're first getting started, you've no idea what people charge for those kind of jobs. And I think it can be quite hard to actually find out what kind of money goes around in those circles as well, because it's not like you just Google how much did Google spend on this campaign? It's like yeah. that kind of stat isn't really out there. And I think quite often we think, oh, well, well, like if you actually heard that figure, you'd be like, that's ridiculous. I can't mm. ch- charge that for what I do. And you know that you make a great point there because I think sometimes by not having that inside information, and it does feel like inside knowledge, and I think we're all guilty of not being open enough about fees and costs. And I think if we had more of an open dialogue, you wouldn't struggle so much in the outset to charge the right amount of money. But by not charging the amount of money, sometimes you lose out on opportunities. I remember when I first started my business, I'd come out of corporate world. I was, I was, you know, doing talks on personal branding and mentoring and coaching. And I thought I was charging a good amount. <laughs> like based on what my salary had been, the day rate I went out with, I was like, wow, if I can earn that as a day rate, fab. I think I was something like £250, right? And I, I'd gone to a client and, you know, they... Um, was interested in the service. They were nodding along and they loved it. They were ready. They were willing. They were a big corporate. Then I said the price. And I just, the, the whole tone of the room changed. Because for them, that price illustrated that I wasn't the professional that I had said I was. That maybe I couldn't deliver because it was just too cheap. And so by us devaluing our own price point, sometimes that then means the client now isn't interested. So you have to do that research. And in it's, it evolves over time. 
Like I now, I'm still working on, you know, pricing. There's still some clients that I know will pay far more than um, than sometimes we've quoted and so on. And it's a journey, but it's, it is about understanding your worth and now being so much more confident when you deliver that, that number. And just yeah, to add to that, you know, we're talking about here, you know, not knowing the price, right? So sometimes just having the people around you and in your network, within your network to be able to ask, hey, what do you charge? What are you charging for this? It's awesome. Whether you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, in your nine to five, it doesn't matter. Because when you're going for a role and you say, hey, what, what level is that paying? You can just ask the question, right? And we always talk about this no matter where you are on your journey, whether you're an entrepreneur or entrepreneur, your network is vital. It's so important to you. And having the right people in your network to be able to have these friendly conversations with is invaluable. And just to add to that, when Byron sometimes, he deals with some of my speaking uh, clients, right? He always asks the budget. What People are afraid to ask the budget. They're ready to jump in with the price, but actually you've not asked the right questions. And in the book, we talk about, you know, having a fact find and asking the right questions. So, okay, well, who have you had before? Okay, what did they do for you? Okay, you know, you might know that photographer, they charge big money. So, you know, they've got some budget, right? Okay, great. Well, and how did that go? Okay, so what are you looking for this time? And how, you know, asking the right questions will help you to come up with a better fee. And then, of course, being able to say no, if it doesn't align with your your costs. There is obviously a certain amount of research you can do. But if that feels like that's going to hold you back, if you feel like, the client well they're looking for this this week i need to give it to them if you don't have time to do that research like one of the best ways to learn is by actually going to do it like you try a fee this time if that worked then maybe increase it next time and keep increasing it and i think that's the thing that over time you can just keep increasing it keep building up because the market will find its level for you and as soon as you hit that and everyone starts saying no then you've realized okay i've maybe gone a bit too far and it's trial and error and not Absolutely. everyone's willing to, to do that trial sometimes and error. fear you know sometimes you're afraid you're like you know that sounds like too much yeah you know, you know you haven't got a pricing strategy um so yeah fear can prevent you from charging what you're worth also and you have to oh. think what's the worst that can happen they say no right and then yeah. maybe you have to enter into a negotiation and I know in our experience, most corporate kind of brands, they don't really like negotiating. They don't really know how to because people are not used to it. They're like, that's the budget in their mind. You said more than they expect. They don't always know how to come back. So it's for you to sometimes go back and say, OK, well, if you know I've quoted 5K and your budget was 4K, well, let's talk about it. But people are often nervous about that conversation. Yeah, I think like that fear thing is like, I can imagine every person who's ever dealt with clients has had the same experience and no one's ever talked about it of like that, like, oh, do we charge this? Do we charge that? Like, oh, will they accept it? And that kind of fear and backwards and forwards of like toying before you press send, that kind of like fear of, oh, what's going to happen? Boom, go, fuck, I've done it. Go, 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 go. <laughs> like, and I'm sure everyone's been through that. <laughs> it's just making me think of uh, when I met Yona, my wife, um, she was a client and I asked her how much I should be charging her because I really had no clue and she was kind <laughs> enough to tell me. She was like, well, for this sort of project, you'd be looking around this sort of budget. And then uh, I, she was so helpful. I kept asking her questions and that was how we got together. And then um, she became our business partner. So, um, so yeah, asking those questions. And I, and I think the the what you mentioned, Bianca, about emailing them, if you don't hear back from them, you send off the quote and you don't hear back from them, if it is out of their budget, typically they will tend to ignore you. And so then if you just leave it, then then you all the chances have gone. But if you do go back and go, 
hey, haven't heard back from you. Like, was was it like ask the direct question? Was it down to budget? Because there are you asked like what my top service is, but maybe there's something I can do for your budget. And you left if you let me know what that is, then we can work around it. Absolutely, and I think often as well, not hiding behind emails in the first place. Like where possible, I try not to send quotes uh, by email. I try and have a conversation on the phone and ask them the right questions, understand the market, what is it for, who is it with, and you know what is their budget. And sometimes by asking, as you did with your wife, by asking that direct question, okay, well, what is your budget? Some people just say the budget. And, yeah. and sometimes that works to your advantage because in your mind, you are going to price it at X. And then they've said a price above that. And you're like, okay, well, well, actually my price now, <laughs> my price now is this. Wow. If you go in and say like, say your average day rate is a thousand pounds and they've come back to you and said, oh, we can give you three, th- th- we've got our budget for this is three grand. Then make, spend two grand extra doing something amazing because then Absolutely. it's like the next client is going to come to you, is going to look at what you've done there and that's what they're going to expect then then you can go forward being charging three grand because you've delivered three grand on it i think where people probably early on in their journey make little mistakes is get a bit greedy and be like amazing i'm going to just charge that for that and then just pocket it and don't reinvest that back into their own business yeah i couldn't agree more and i think it is about having that foresight to say okay well yes i've got a bit extra but i'm not going to spend that just on on myself putting my pocket what else can i do how can I go over and above to kind of over deliver? And that's kind of what gets you getting those clients coming back time and time again and those referrals. And I think the the one of the best marketing tools in business is referral marketing. It's so, you know, so inexpensive <laughs> because someone else is doing all of that work for you. So it's a great position to be in. Yeah, when when it comes to prices, a question we get asked often quite quite directly by listeners is is how much should I be charging for this? And then they will lay out what it is that they're doing. And it's really difficult for us to answer because I can tell you exactly how much a, a mural for a brand is going to cost. And Adam can tell you how much a day shoot for uh, for his photography clients is going to cost. But but when it comes down to your specific industry, it's really, and, and I think this is this adds to that sort of cloud of mystery around how much should I charge because it's very difficult to go and ask someone directly what what you should uh, what you should charge. But I think one thing that so many people do um, slip up on is they they see their own spending habits and then they put those onto their potential clients, and so because they wouldn't spend a huge amount on something doesn't mean necessarily that your target client is not going to spend a huge amount on that thing. So I was talking to a young artist recently and she is selling prints on her website for £20 each. I don't know what her what her print costs are, but I'm sure there's not much revenue in that. Yeah, and her thinking, she explained her thinking was that, well, if it's, if it's cheaper, then I'll sell more of them. And you're shaking your head there and yes. I absolutely agree. Like, no, because firstly, you're devaluing your artwork. You're selling people this is not really worth that much. You could you could pick up a, a, a like a poster in on the high street for like a similar amount of money that you're selling this actual art print that you've created that's original work. You could sell ten or fifteen of them for twenty quid, or you could put one up for 150 quid and then you only need one client a month as opposed to the 20 or 30 people that you would need to make a similar amount. Yeah. And and in addition to that, what I often find is the clients that are willing to uh, spend that little bit more are often less difficult to work with. <laughs> like you, yes. you give yourself, <laughs> you give yourself a headache. The ones who want to pay the least, they're the, the headache. headache. Yeah. yeah. That is true. And so you're what you're spending all this time creating momentum, trying to get all these customers to your website to try and do this mass marketing kind of plan, right? 
And and actually, you could have had a more niche environment, a more niche audience who would have paid more for your time and energy and would be more appreciative of your work. And I think it's difficult to get out of that mindset of thinking, you know, sell it low, sell it low priced and, and stack them high. That doesn't work for everyone. In fact, it doesn't work for most entrepreneurs. It works well for the big Primarchs of the world. Right. It works for that's their business model. But the average entrepreneur who doesn't have endless amounts of time on their hands, they can't afford to be selling it cheap. It just doesn't it doesn't work as a kind of formula. Yeah, because I suppose if you're an individual, like say if you work just you're just a one person business and you're looking you're spending all your time looking for clients you're not spending any time on your craft or improving your craft or improving your business because you're just fighting fires the whole time you're just trying to beg people to come through a door because you you're desperate in that situation whereas as soon as you yeah you have a product that is valuable that has a good value to it people like people are looking for value all the time they're not always looking for that cheapest thing possible and i think people look for solutions to their problems right so regardless of what it is that that you offer you know in the creative space you are solving a problem their problem might be as simple as uh, you know adam they, they need a photo shoot they need images right it, it sounds like it's, it's a, a simple enough problem to solve but it isn't because they want a certain type of solution yeah. so yeah. it's about illustrating how you solve their particular problem and that's where the value add is supply and demand and so in terms of thinking then okay well what market do I go for as a business owner as a creative how do I decide which market to go for I think that depends on a few things first of all let's look at your purpose and passion what is it that you're interested in what is it that you're passionate about and then and then we take it from there okay now let's look at the opportunity and does that fit in with my current lifestyle is it does it mean if I want to be a creative, uh, a videographer, a photographer, or whatever it may be, can I physically do that based on my current commitments? Okay, is it going to be a side hustle? Is it going to be my full-time hustle? I think there's so many different variables that go into the decision-making process on what we're going to do. Um, and I don't think it's just one blanket. And you may end up doing something that makes a lot of money, but you don't really enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes we are... Uh, money driven I think that sometimes when you first start start the hustle or you first start your journey you're really driven and then you realize I really like that and then you're like it no longer becomes about the money it becomes more about quality of life and the the, the fun you have and a bit more about purpose and sometimes people get that from uh, from the very outset and if you can get that right from the beginning from the jump then I think the the, the road to success is is definitely a lot more easier uh, and definitely a lot less painful for sure um so that's that would be i guess my take on that yeah i i think with our listeners i would say you, your typical entrepreneur is is building a company that a lot of times they're they're building it with the the idea that it's they're going to sell that company and they're going to move on whereas i feel like most people that listen to this show are they've started their business because it's based around something that they love um and they want to hold on to that passion and and i think most of our listeners are very are very purpose driven, which I think is great because I, I think so often within a traditional business, that's the hardest part to nail down. Whereas for our listeners, that's the bit that they've got is like, I know what I'm put on this planet to do. Now I've just got to get it out there. And, and for them, a lot more is they don't need to start with why they need to work on their branding and their marketing and actually like getting it out there to the world. Absolutely. Well, you've got the the branding guru or the personal branding guru right here. <laughs> and, you know, I think that on that branding piece, I think that a lot of people don't think about their personal brand and how they can utilize that personal brand to help them push that business forward. 
And I always say people buy from people and it sounds like really obvious and it's a bit of a lame statement, but the re- it is a reality. People buy from people. They want to build that rapport with you. They want to understand your passion, enthusiasm, but they also want to support the work that you do. So it's about finding that balance between, okay, this is who I am. This is what I offer. This is what I'm passionate about. And this is still a business. How do I make sure that I leverage my brand, my personal brand and my abilities to make it commercially viable so it can pay the bills? And I think it's getting that combination right, but also seeing what you are good at and what you're not good at. And I think sometimes in my experience, I, I did some work with University of the Arts London for a while and the creatives there were extremely passionate, but they weren't very good at kind of admin. They weren't maybe very good at the pricing. <laughs> they weren't very good at taking control of those conversations. So when you realise, OK, that's not my strength. Well, how do we delegate that to someone else who maybe can represent us and has our best interest at heart, but can have those active conversations and can bring our price point up and can you know uplift our brand? And if maybe you can't afford to have someone in that capacity, well, what can I do to make sure that I am shoring up my personal brand and I'm showcasing what I do in the best way to put myself forward? On the note of people by people, I've, I've got such a, like if I didn't believe it before, then I had such a, an amazing case study recently that really, really proved it to me. I uh, decided to do a little stunt, which was to hide a thousand pieces of artwork across the whole of London. And we walked hundreds of miles and, and hid all of these artworks. And it was a scavenger hunt. And I gave clues on my Instagram where people could find the work. And while I was out hunting, I met a few people. And the idea behind the stunt was to promote my solo show. And I ended up um, selling every painting except for one in my show. And Lovely. several of those paintings went to people that I met out on the street while I was handing out, while I was giving out free art. And I 100% believe that had I not met those people out in the street, they wouldn't have then come and bought a painting, which is 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 such a crazy like example of giving away something for free that then leads to a couple of thousand pound purchase down the road in a few weeks' time. Um, and if I hadn't had those interactions and uh, realized that like we're on, we're like we believe the same things, we're part of the same tribe, we're and and they are into the art that I'm making. That was how we built that relationship that then turned into a sale, which allows me to keep on making the work I want to I want to work on. And it's kind of this like beautiful cycle that that feeds itself. And I think that's actually a really lovely thing, because I think when people talk about business so often, it's seen as cynical and money grabbing. And it can be I mean, you talk in the book so much about relationships, like Mm. to run a, a really like truly beautiful business. You're providing a service that a service that is helping people in some way and they are paying you and allowing you to keep on doing that thing. Like that's actually really cool. Yeah. And I think people don't realise how cool that is. Like it is an exceptional position to be in, to be fulfilling your passion and be able to pay your bills from it. Like who doesn't want to do that? So whether you are in a career and you're a career professional or you're an entrepreneur, fundamentally that's what we all want. We all want to be able to pay our bills by doing something we enjoy that we wake up feeling excited to do. And I don't think enough of us have that opportunity. So if you're in that position, you're an entrepreneur and you can, like you say, give back and do creative stunts and so on. Great. But now let's also think about the other side of that. How can we make that work for us commercially? How can we get our name out there? How can we make that stunt a stunt that then is going to pay dividends because it's going to put us in front of the right people? It's going to give us that access and we're going to increase those networks. Brian and I are massive believers in networking and networking karma. And it is a case of, okay, well, what what can I put out there 
that is not necessarily going to give me something back directly, but over time it's going to create those opportunities and it's going to get my name out there and, and it's going to really help other people and help me at the same time. Yeah, those long term relationships of this is not going to this is not going to get me something in the short term. I think that's so important. And, and at mine and Adam's first business was really built on that was was meeting people at, at trade shows and tattoo conventions and in the street and where it, wherever it was that we were kind of making artwork and realizing that this might not be a sale tomorrow or next week or next year or ever and having no expectation of that. But just, yeah, building that network and and this person introduces you to that person. And I think it's so, if you're always just looking for the sale, it's so transparent and people sense it and they put their guard up. Whereas if you're just making relationships in order to make relationships and you're like, having friends is really cool. So let's just be nice to all of these people. Let's yeah. tell them about what I do and it's there as an option. Or maybe you know someone who might be interested because this is the thing that I'm doing at the moment and I'm really trying to make it work, but also like what's going on in your life and like just building those relationships and th the dividends that come like five, six, seven years later, it's, it's so crazy. The emails that we, that we get where people are like, Oh, I had you, I found your um, business card in a shoe box that you gave to me in 2010. Mm -hmm. And only now am I thinking like, who were those graffiti guys? And they, and then they get in touch. It's, it's mad how that stuff happens. Yeah. And I think people just underestimate that. You just never know. And I think when we think about networking, I think, you know, by definition, it's the art of building reciprocal networks that have the potential to become commercial. I think people forget that potential part. I think when people go out and network and you think, oh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to swap cards. And I'm going to get a sale straight away. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to sell my piece of art or I'm going to. It doesn't often work like that. Not often do you meet someone directly who is going to be able to buy from you. But what often happens, or at least when I first started out, is I was introducing myself to people. I was giving my elevator pitch. And then they were saying, OK, great. That's really interesting. I can't help you or maybe this doesn't work for me, but I know someone that it can. And often that was what was happening. I was creating those what we now call brand ambassadors without even realizing it. You're creating these people who are invested in your journey or your dream. And then they're making those connections for you. And then you're doing the same for other people. And that's where that networking karma comes in. Yeah, I think that potential mindset is the best way to approach everything. Like never approach anything like you're just going to get something. Approach everything with the chance of this might turn into something. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And it's just like, and just keep going like that. But the more you put yourself out there to allow more potential to happen, it's like, this is why, like on this show, we hate the word luck because luck is basically <laughs> just all, all the work you've put in, creating all this potential. And then obviously, based on probability, some of that is going to pay off. Yeah. And then some people will be like, oh, that was lucky. Or especially if you're an outsider looking in and you'd be like, how, oh, that person met that person two weeks ago and now this amazing thing's happened to him. How lucky. But they yeah. don't really think about the 10 years before that of all the other people you've met had that potential there that maybe didn't turn into something. Yeah. And yeah, so I think like the idea of just slowly being like, oh, could that could potentially lead to something. I think that that's the way that I kind of personally approach things when it comes to like my business with like approaching different people or like collaborating with people it's just like everything's a potential like the amount of free shoots that I do in a month with just people I'm like this is someone who could potentially maybe benefit me in some way in the future or someone they know might want to connect with me at some point if it doesn't happen that's completely fine and I've shot with loads of people and that's never led to anything but every now and again you'll shoot with one person that leads to someone else that leads to someone else 
and you're like, oh my God, like if I kind of go back two years, I could never have imagined meeting that person. But through these people, because I've helped just because I'm looking for, for potential, it's led to this thing that for me outside would now be deemed as lucky. I hate when people talk about luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they say, oh, he's lucky. They don't see all the blood, sweat and tears that went into the business, yeah. all those hours, all that investment, all that research. And, and, and last but not least, all the risk that you took, leaving your job or putting your money in and, you know, all that risk that you took. They don't see that. They see the result, you know, and they, they see the results and then like, oh, he's lucky, isn't he? He, I heard about what he or she was doing, and oh look, he's really successful. They must have, they must have had the right connection or something, and they don't see the graph. But, but yeah, I agree with you. Luck is definitely um, something that is is perhaps not spoken so much about by um, uh, creators and entrepreneurs, uh, but more so uh, external people, external people. those mm. from looking, yeah. looking at the outside in. Yeah. And it's funny because they say, "Oh, you're so lucky that you met that person at that event." Well, no, it wasn't luck. I went to the event. Yeah, <laughs> I went to the event. I then went up to them. I then spoke to them. It wasn't luck. Like it's 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 maybe it was it was uh, lucky that you heard about the event. But you didn't have to go, right? <laughs> well, you mean the event you searched on the event that you for... searched for an event, yeah. right? That you found someone <laughs> that, you, that you paid to go. That to. You paid to attend, yeah. and you showed up. You had your business card. You were ready. You were prepared. Oh, great luck! That Forged was that relationship. Yeah. All you can do is make sure that if you're playing that luck card that your potential is as high as possible. So uh, going with a business card, going with, with some way they can connect, going with even a question. I think this is one thing that we always talk about when it comes to networking is have an idea of something you want to ask someone before you approach them. Don't just, if there's a, someone you're a big fan of, don't just go up to them and be like, oh my God, I love you. I love what you did here. Yeah, That's yeah. really great. <laughs> because I feel like instantly, just in terms of like a status level of approaching, they're going to think you're lower than them because you're like worshipping them. Whereas yeah. if you came in and just asked them an interesting question that might actually spark something in their mind, then you're, there's a good chance that could become maybe a relationship from there. Like you're actually going to have a proper conversation. And also just that that preparation point is so important. I think when you're going to an event, if you can get the list in advance the of attendees, amazing. You know who's going to be there. You can plan who you want to speak to. And it doesn't always happen. You don't always have to be so kind of uh, planned and, and, and it could be some of it a little bit organic. But actually, if you've got some intention, you've set some intentions in terms of who you're going to speak to, you've done a bit of research, you have a great question to ask them, as you say, you're not kind of fangirling or fanboying or is, is there is fanboying a thing? People only have talked yeah. about fangirling, don't they? <laughs> I think we know what you, we know maybe what you for mean. you, I feel like maybe, for me, yeah, people maybe. would be like fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you, you, you are prepared to have that conversation and that preparation is really important. Um, you know, Byron, um, I think we, we mentioned in the book about how when you go networking, you don't always look to sell what you have on offer. You go in with the intention of saying, well, what problem do you, what, what's your biggest problem you're facing right now? What one thing would change the opportunity for you in your business? And by asking that question, you're getting some great answers from that person. And then if you know people, you can connect them with other people. Just that ability to be in a room, not trying to get, but actually trying to give, makes such a difference 100%. as well, because it's so refreshing. Be a go-giver. To go to a networking event and not sell a service is mm. just like the absolute best way to do it. But sounds so ridiculous because yeah. you go there thinking, oh, well, I'm going to come away with something. But yeah, you just go there. And I think like they say, like, that just by being interested in someone, they're going to find you interesting. 
And if you start a relationship there, then it's like, it's so good to just have, to leave that event with relationships rather than leave that with like, a, well, I've got one job next week. And the relationships can last you so much longer than that one job. 100%. There are people I've met who I've never had any commercial opportunity from, but we've gone for coffees, we've gone for drinks, we've, you know, created relationships that has resulted in maybe them introducing me to people. And sometimes not, Something, sometimes nothing comes of it. But you've met someone new, you've learned from their experiences, you knew, you know, new random information as a result of having conversation. And that random information you end up using next week when you meet someone else who happens to be in that field. And all of that just adds to your knowledge base and makes it so much more interesting when you speak to someone. I think as well, like as an entrepreneur, like it is all encompassing. It takes over our life. It becomes who we are. And if we can at least leave a situation with a friend, then like that is part of our life as well. And I think we do have this mindset of we just got to make sure everything's great for business. Whereas I think making sure things are great for our life too is really, really important. So if you can just make a friend there, that if that never leads to anything, at least you've made a friend and your life is better because of it, which at the end of the day, we're all entrepreneurs because we want our lives to be better in some way. And if that can just lead to a friend rather than money, then that's also great too. In my journey, I have almost uh, two sets of friendship groups you have your family that's fine that's one that doesn't really count but you have the friends who are you've worked you've found from working and historic from school and you have your friends from well i have my friends from like my entrepreneurial life who i often probably do more things with just as a result that they're interested in the things that i'm interested in and going to the places that i'm interested in going to so it's so interesting that as you evolve um, your 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 social group starts to evolve also. You know, your friends and your family will always be your friends and your family. You'll always see them at your birthday and et cetera. But literally, you know, you know that on a on a Thursday night, somebody you know will be in a particular area because they're networking or whatever it may be. And I find that as I evolve and as I grow, my networks definitely change and, and my social circle also changes. Yeah, and I think that evolution is is something that, that most people don't expect. So they picture how their business is going to look in the future and they don't realise that how their business is going to end up is probably a really different to how they imagine it because um, things very rarely go to plan. And I think tomorrow, like having having listened to us talking about networking and all of the advice and everything like that, everyone will rush out, go to a networking event, but not realising that like you have to pound the pavement. You really have to... like your elevator pitch you have to do it probably a hundred times before it's even slightly good so it, again it's this patience thing of of planting the seeds like people remembering you later on down the road but like you might not be ready for them yet you might not be polished enough the work might not be good enough yet and it's all this evolution that you as a creative you as a as a business are going to go on and you're going to end up probably somewhere that you 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 have no idea where you're going to be when you're looking at it now I couldn't agree yeah. more with you more. And I think that sometimes we... I'm nodding and I forgot. Yeah, well, yeah, you're nodding. It's <laughs> audio podcast. Um, I, I think that's so true. And I think that we all have to be uh, prepared to put in that legwork. When I first started my first business in 2012, I was going to networking events three nights a week on my own. And that's not always a comfortable position to be in. Mm. But I think if you're going to start a business, you have to be used to or accept that sometimes you're going to have to do things outside of your comfort zone and you're going to have to take those moments of growth uh, from learning through those lessons of meeting people. And there are there are so many uncomfortable moments. I'm now 
adapted to how to network, fine-tuned enough that I can give advice about it. But when I first started, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was it was very awkward. We've all been to events where there's loads of people and they all seem to be you know, getting on really well and having great chats. And you're on the outskirts thinking, how do I get into that conversation? We've all been there. And I think it's just a case of finding what works for you and, and just going through the pain sometimes to get better at it and to enhance your skills. And then eventually you start making that network work for you. And I think every introvert listening to this now is like being like, oh my God, that sounds like the scariest thing in the world. But it's just something that you have to go through. And it's something that you'll grow so much as a person by going to do it. David and myself are both introverts. And we've managed to kind of like train ourselves over time through the practice of just throwing ourselves into it. That now like, like if you just spoke to me 10 years ago, the idea of meeting new people would be the worst thing in the world. Now I do it at least twice a day. And I absolutely love it. It's kind of like basically what I've built my business around is meeting new people who are interesting. You could have great conversations with every day. It's like, so today I've met two new people through photo shoots and I've met you two guys from doing this. And that's like four new people who are all really interesting people that I've had a good conversation with and it's building relationships. But if you, yeah, but ages ago, that wouldn't have happened. So if you're listening to this being like, the idea of going to a networking event sounds like the worst thing in the world. I feel like I just stand in the corner on my phone like you've just got to go and do it and you've just got yeah. to approach some people and realize that the people in that room they're there to meet people they're not there to be mean it's not school anymore where people are just going to push you out of a group because you're different they're there to meet people so it's the safest space to go and just approach a random person and just say hey so what do you do yeah, yeah absolutely and and that's uh as you're saying that i'm just thinking about the survival instinct you know because we're we're doing things that we don't perhaps uh, that we don't want to do we recognize that it's not our, in our nature to do it or it's not our natural way of being um, but the survival instinct kicks in uh, and then we start to do things that are a bit more outside of our comfort zone uh, but not just to survive as, as Bianca will say but also to thrive so so absolutely you know uh, needs must yeah which uh which makes me think of uh be, I, I suppose there's always that fear that someone's going to say that we're that we're not good enough or they don't like our product or service or whatever that might be. Um, Bianca, there's a, a, an interesting story in the book. Could you tell us about your your uncle who uh, said to you that he didn't believe in your business? Yeah. Do you know, I actually tried to dig out that email, but I've actually changed email address since, uh, since that age. It's so unfortunate because I'd love to, I was going to publish it in the book. Because it's that moment, so so for clarity, for those of you who haven't read the book yet, and one of my uncles, when I decided to, to leave my you know full-time job, good salary, stability, and start a business, sent me an email basically documenting why the business wouldn't work. So as opposed to saying, okay, well, this is why, these are things that I have concerns about, this is how you might overcome it, it was literally just, it's not going to work because of X, Y, and Z, right? And that is... Can be very hurtful and I think that happens to a lot of people you have those naysayers in your life who say you're not it's not going to work don't do it you know you, you stay in your job why would you do that and I had a few friends that also thought I was a bit crazy like you've got a great job why would you leave but you have to think about how you receive that information and I think there's two ways to look at it you could say okay they're right let me stay in my job or you could say let me prove them wrong Right. And I'm a prove them wrong type of person. So I said, OK, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because what's the worst that can happen? And I think we always need to ask ourselves that when we're going for new clients or we're starting a business. 
what's the worst that can happen? If that client says no, you go and find another client, right? If that business doesn't succeed, you try another business or you go back and get a job. That's the worst thing that could happen. But in my mind, the worst thing that could happen is not trying in the first place and actually having that regret. And I call it in the book kind of my kind of deathbed philosophy of looking back and thinking, what if I tried that? Would I have been good? Would I have been great? Would I have succeeded? And actually, every time you do something that doesn't work, you learn so much from it that it's more important to go through that journey and kind of fail fast than not do it and have nothing to learn from. It's so hard when it's family, though. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, do you know what? I, I'm still thinking about asking him if he remembers the email. <laughs> because... probably, it was probably so insignificant to him at the time. Yeah, yeah. He probably doesn't remember. Yeah. And I think that's that's quite scary because I think we don't recognise sometimes the impact you could have on someone making mm. a big decision in their life. And that's not to say that as anyone listening, if your friends come to you with a crap idea, you should say to them, go and do it. That's great. <laughs> like if it's crap, maybe explain to them how they can make it better, how they could enhance it, what they could do differently. But um, we need to be more conscious of how you can potentially crush someone's dreams by just giving a random flippant remark or sending an email that actually is not really well thought out because actually how helpful is that email? What could you be saying to support them if you don't think it's going to work in that way, what way could it work? And I think we all need to be conscious of how we uh, show up for other people. Yeah, I think that's really important because I think if people approach you and they've got like they're they're generally looking for someone to tell them it's okay. I think that's what happens in a lot of scenarios where it's like I've got this idea, I'm pretty sure I can do it, but I just all I need is just I haven't got my self belief yet. I just need someone else to tell me that I can do it. So it's like they're so vulnerable in that situation and just try and find a way to help them if someone comes to you with anything even if it sounds like the most stupid idea you've ever heard of and you're like well that's definitely not going to work at least let them try and do it and see what happens because as you said there it's like the the trying and the failing and the learning is so much better than just never trying anything at all because if you always just because if that was the only person in your life you ever took advice from they would shoot you down for your whole life and you would never try anything you'd never do anything and yeah on your deathbed you'd be like why the hell did I listen to that person that all they did was bring me down? And I think what you can do there as well is maybe ask yourself, like if you've asked someone something and they gave you a really negative response, don't ask that person again. Find people, obviously not just like yes men who are going to say you're brilliant, but find people who can be honest and constructive and be like, well, no, that might not work, but maybe try this instead and surround yourself with more people like that. Because I think the sooner we can kind of surround ourselves with that network of people who we can trust their opinions, we can trust their advice because they've maybe gone and done it before, that can be so much better for us than just like trusting someone or asking like, so your uncle was an example. Like, I don't know, had he ever had his own business before? Had he ever done anything like that? So I feel like, yeah, you're shaking your head. And it's like, no, I think no. most times when people give us this advice, they haven't done it before, but they maybe just think based on the experiences that they've had, oh, it probably won't work. I think that, you know, that's a, a kind of a great point to pick up on, right? Taking um, advice from people who are unqualified uh, and uh, people would love to give advice and I think it's great to listen I, on my journey I always listen you know you always listen to people and everybody has something to say everybody has an opinion right um, but sometimes you have to really qualify where the, the the person and why how qualified are they on that opinion you know and you don't always have to be qualified in order to give an opinion that is good sometimes people just have wisdom you mm -hmm. know but I often find that that everybody wants to just lend their opinion 
uh, and have not had the experience or even are qualified to give you that opinion, but everybody will, right? Everybody, everybody wants to be a football manager, you know, but only only a few, a handful can actually do the job. And, and I find that sometimes just making sure you listen to the right people, um, but listening to everybody, but taking action from the people who actually have something valuable to say, or at least experience what I've been through at the very least. It's great to find a mentor, but you can find mentors in online figures. There's there's so many podcasts, there's so many resources, there's so many books of of now yours is is one of them that we where we can look at where there is expert advice of people who people who look like you, sound like you, have been through similar journeys of you, have documented and put it online of where they've made something a success. So I I really think it, it was a question I was wondering whether I should ask you guys is because it, it it kind of relates back to the when where we opened of of like all bit all these businesses failing like do you think that any single person could make a successful business and i i've I've been really mulling that that question over um knowing that i was going to be interviewing you guys and i think for me the answer is yes on a long enough timeline because the mistakes that they will go through um the learning like if if they're always continually learning i think that's that's the differentiator is Mm. if they if they continue to learn and improve then it might take them till they're 80 but i feel like every single person as long as they do try and they listen to the mentors that are around them would be capable of creating a successful business especially with time if if there is an urgency or there isn't restraints with time then anybody can be an entrepreneur anybody can be successful anybody can be a creative uh, yes there are some other things that are required and skill and knowledge and so on but even when it comes down to skill you could you can buy training you can employ a professional so you know anybody can do it i guess it's just a a a decision making process that you have to make make the choice that you are going to do this and you're going to make it successful uh but yeah i agree anybody can be successful um once they've made that decision that they're going to do it Uh, so bianca like obviously we're talking to you now and you are an expert at personal branding one thing that i always kind of one thing that always interests me and especially like a lot of our audience who ask questions about personal branding is as an artist or a creative who creates visual things, how much of your personal branding should be the the work that you create compared to like you as a person making that work? That's an interesting question. I think it depends on what medium you're trying to present your work on. And I think sometimes when I've uh, mentored artists before, sometimes they want their work to stand out uh, separately from their identity. And so mm. you, you find yourself in a position where you have two uh, social media platforms representing you. So you have the brand, so the artistry, and you have the artist. And it's okay sometimes for them to have hold for them to hold two different spaces. It's not dissimilar to someone who has a product. They might have a page that's for their product and they have a page that's for them. And so in the same way, you will have the two brands um, as separate entities, but the two work together in tandem. So what we find is that on your personal page, you're talking about you, the entrepreneur, the artist, the journey, the inspiration and so on. But you're still bringing the art into that page. And then on the art page, you're probably focused on the art, but there'll be elements of and as an artist, I have chosen to create this because. And the two things coexist. And I think we don't have one without the other so much anymore. I think 
on on you know in in history we've had brands that stood out as a brand on its own like no one really knows who started or, or at least i don't know who started coca-cola for example it's mm. not a massive story in my mind about the the person who went out and created this random recipe but people do know about more recent brands maybe like um let's use um innocent smoothies as an example you would know about their story whether their story is true or not i'm not sure i'm not quite sure but the story of them you know deciding whether they're going to leave their job or not and create this smoothie brand and going to a festival and having two bins the one that said should i leave my job should i not put your drink in the respective bin that story is a great story i don't know if it's true but it's a great story and now i think as consumers we buy into stories we want to hear what the thoughts and intentions were. We want to understand what your vision is. We want to understand your motivations. And I think that has changed over time based on the generation's requirement to see the person behind the brand. And I think we can't underestimate the importance of your brand story and how that helps you to build rapport. And so people want to hear, okay, well, what is your background? Did you did you come from privilege? Did you not? Did you go to school? Did you not? Did you succeed? Did you fail? Was art always your thing? Was photography always your thing? Do you have a story of how, you know, your mum gave you your first Polaroid camera when you were five and you couldn't help but take pictures and, and they were pieces of art and then you look back and they were absolutely rubbish, but your mum thought they were great. Like, you know, that story is the story that most people at some point, if they tracked back through their life, they can see those those hints of inspiration or they can see those moments, those light bulb moments that resulted in them being where they are today and that story is powerful. And I think we sometimes as artists and as creatives, and I consider most entrepreneurs to be artists and creatives, to be honest, because you're creating every day. Right. So as artists and creatives, we have to think about how we bring people into that journey. How do we bring people on board so that they, too, are passionate about the work that we do so they feel like they're part of the journey? And I think that buy in really helps you sell things. Like that, that, that buy-in from when I was on The Apprentice talking about nude hosiery and not being able to get the tights in my skin tone. People bought into that because they realised, yeah, you're right, actually. Why is there only one shade of nude on the high street? What about all my friends and family and colleagues that I've seen of different ethnicity, different skin tone who actually can't buy a pair, a pair of nude tights? Yeah, this is a great idea. That creates buy-in because there's a story and people can resonate with that story. And that's what creates that kind of brand identity. And with story, I think as creators, especially well, especially early on in the journey, how do we make sure that we we're authentic to our own story and not kind of look at someone who we idolize and think, well, my story is rubbish compared to that person who's gone and done this amazing thing. And then, yeah. So, how do we stay authentic to like who we are and not think that what we've done so far isn't worth talking about? Oh yeah, comparison is a thief of joy. <laughs> you know we, we're all conscious of it we're all comparing you know even if you're doing well in your career you're like well they just got a book deal well they just did that they just did this right and I think it's so important to see that your journey is unique and your journey is interesting for on its own right you don't have to try and compete with someone else's journey their story is their story your story is your story and it's about finding the unique and interesting parts of your story you know some people their story is not that exciting right but wherever they started they're somewhere different now. So how do they yeah. get there? And sometimes it's the journey of getting there that's more exciting than the background story. So always just find those, those, you know, those moments that you can draw upon as inspiration that inspired you to go where you're going now, 
or, or start creating the story today. If your background isn't that interesting, you don't think it's that exciting, no one wants to hear it. Okay, well, why are you where you are now? What's happened in the last two to five years has made you do whatever you're doing? And how can you build that story from, from today? Guys, thank you so much for um, coming on the show. Could you let our listeners know where they can find you online and uh, details of the new book? First of all, thank you for having us. Um, you can find myself on LinkedIn, of course, Byron Cole, but also I'm only on Instagram at Mr. B Selfmade. And uh, I'm on all most of the socials. <laughs> so on uh, on the Instagram, it's uh, at Bianca Miller Official. On uh, LinkedIn, it's Bianca Miller Cole. And you can find the other ones. They're not uh, that that exciting, probably just in my name. And then the book itself, The Business Survival Kit, is out now. And really for us, it was an opportunity to document some of the things that we don't often talk about as entrepreneurs, like the imposter syndrome, dealing with stress, anxiety, confidence, how to maintain your romantic relationships when you're pushing hard every day to try and make your business work. How do you set great goals? How do you go after those goals and that vision? And for us, this book really provided that opportunity for everyone to take a step back and really think about the active steps they can take to survive and thrive. So the book is available on Amazon, all good bookstores. And of course, if you're interested in, you know, being part of any of our events or our journey, head over to the website, which is www.selfmadebook.uk. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.